Praise the Lord. What a joy it is to be with you this uh, service as you focus on the passion of God and God's desire to see this world transformed. And thank you for being a part. I want to read this morning from John chapter 9. wish my wife could be here today. My wife is uh, back. We have uh, three sons, uh, 26, 20, and 18. have been serving in India now for 30 years. God has been so faithful. We are so privileged to be able to serve the Lord, and so thankful for uh, churches like this that allow us to to fulfill the passion and call of God on our lives. I want to thank you for uh, for being a part of what God's doing around the world. John chapter nine, beginning in verse one. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So. Here are the disciples, they're walking with Jesus, and uh, they, they have a theological question for him. This man, he's blind, so why is he blind? Now notice, they're following Jesus, but they're still thinking like the world. How many of you know some people that are following Jesus, but they still think like the world? And they have a question. They said, well, well we want to know what is the cause of suffering. Did this man sin? Did his parents sin? Why is this man suffering? Why do we see suffering in this world? Why do we see wars? Why do we see sickness? Why is there all of this? Now, a couple of things I want you to notice. One is the disciples are really confused. The Bible clearly tells us the man was born blind from birth. He was born blind. So if his parents sinned, it must have been something they did before he was born. And if he sinned, it must have been in another lifetime, which doesn't line up with Scripture. Pretty amazing, right? So, so they're believing in reincarnation. They don't know what they believe. I, I believe it's a, a lot like the church today. A lot of people don't know what they believe anymore. <laughs> and so here they are. They have no idea. So where did this suffering come from? Did he sin in another life? Did his parents sin? What is the cause of suffering? You see, if we can assign blame, we determine responsibility. So if it's his fault, then I don't have to do anything about it. I mean, if he's suffering because of something he did, then that relinquishes me from the responsibility of having to get involved. You see, we want to know, who's at fault in Ukraine? Is it Russia's fault? Is it Ukraine's fault? Because if I can decide who's at fault, I can determine if I have to care or not. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> I mean, if I can see somebody that's suffering somewhere, if I can just figure out who to blame, then I can determine whether I have to get involved or not. And the disciples want to know, is this man somebody, somebody that deserves our concern? Does he deserve our compassion? Did he bring this on himself? Is it God's fault? Whose fault is it? Because we often want to do that, don't we? You know, we want to ride by and and see the man holding the sign, and we can just determine, well, if he's a drug addict, then I don't have to get involved. I don't have to care. If he's homeless because he chooses to be homeless, I don't have to care. We, we want to know, why is he like this? But I want to tell you, Scripture doesn't give us any leeway. Scripture calls us to care no matter what. <laughs> Scripture calls us to concern no matter so however you got to where you are, Jesus still cares about you. No matter what brought you to this position today, God is still concerned with your life. You don't have to know who 
is to blame in Ukraine today. You just need to know people are suffering and that the people of God need to show the compassion of God towards those who are suffering always in all situations. Can somebody say amen? If I see somebody holding a sign, I don't need to know why they're holding a sign. I can pray for them and intercede with them and be concerned for them. No matter what the cause of their suffering, we still are caused to be people of concern. That's what we're called to do. So Jesus turns it on its head. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, now Jesus is not trying to say here, God blinded him so that he could heal him. That doesn't even make sense, does it? God is not the originator of pain. God is not the originator of violence. God is not the originator of sickness. But when sickness, when suffering comes, God is the God who is greater, who is able to redeem it and to show his glory even in the darkest moments of life. You see, we live in, in an in-between time where the curtain is being pulled. When Jesus came, Jesus said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. He was letting us know the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. When Jesus died and resurrected, the kingdom of God was inaugurated. Jesus was declared king, the ruler of all the earth. And today, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the rightful ruler of this earth. But the kingdom of God that has been inaugurated has not yet been fully established on this earth. Sin is still here. Sickness is still here. Death is still here. Violence is still here. There will be a time when Jesus returns and death, hell, the grave, war, and sickness will all be thrown into the pit of fire never to be seen again. It will be a time there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death. Jesus will establish the fullness of his reign. But until that time, we live in a moment of the kingdom of God is now but not yet it is now but not fully revealed he is the king he is the ruler but he has not established his rule in all places yet darkness is still reigning today in ukraine Darkness is reigning today in Syria. Darkness is reigning today in Ethiopia. The king will establish his rule soon. The kingdom will be established when he returns. But until then, we are the messengers of the king. We go out declaring the king has returned. He is here. Come and be a part of his kingdom rule. Come and feel the experience, his healing and his joy and his peace today. It is coming. God desires to see his kingdom established in all the world. And we are the messengers of that called to go into all the world. So, so how are we to respond in this time of now but not yet. Verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Our response to suffering, our response to death, our response to the ongoing chaos in the world is to work. Everybody say work. 
God has called you to hard work. God has called us to involvement. Now, depending on the version you, you have, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. If anybody has a King James Bible, you'll, you'll notice that it says in your Bible, I must do the works of him who sent me. If you have a New Living Translation, you'll see it says that we must do the work of him who sent us. You know why that is? Because translators, when they were translating the Bible from the Greek language, in the Greek, it actually uses pronouns, we and me. That's in, in the Greek, it uses those pronouns. But early translators said, you know, the pronouns don't match up. So, so I, I think it's better translated, I and me. Other translators says, no, I, I don't think that matches up. I, I think it's better to translate it, we and us, so that the pronouns match up. But I believe that the Spirit of God spoke the pronouns he wanted. The work is his work. I don't do our work or my work. I do his work. But we are called together with Christ. That Christ invites us in to his kingdom work. That we, together with Christ, do the work that he was sent to do. You don't have your own mission. You don't have your own purpose. You are called into the purposes of Christ to enter into his work, but we are allowed to do it with him. That's good news. I often wonder, God, why me? When I was 20 years old, I was an alcoholic. I didn't come from a Christian family. By the time I was 20, I had gotten thrown out of two universities. I had very little education. My dad was a plumber, and I was a plumber. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. God, why would you call me to be a part of your kingdom work? And there's only one word I can give you, and that's love. It's the love of God. You know, my sons, uh, I, I, love to, I love to work. I, I love to get my hands dirty. And so my kids, when they were young, when they couldn't help, they always wanted to help. Once they got old enough to help, they don't want to help anymore. Any of you got kids like that? I mean, when they're four years old, they want to help cut the grass. When they're 18, you can't get them on the lawnmower. So when they're four years old and they're coming along and I'm, I'm working on the, the car, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm changing the oil, I'm working on the car, and my four-year-old son comes toddling up and said, Dad, can I help you? What's the answer to that question? No, you can't help me. You have nothing of value to add to this. You don't know what tools are. You don't know how to help. There is absolutely nothing you can do to help me. But what do I actually say to my son? Absolutely. Yes, you can help. Why? Because I love my son. I want my son to feel a part of the family. I want him to learn. I want him to grow. So even though my son has nothing of value to offer, I offer him into the process. I, I offer him to enter into the mission with me of fixing this thing. And I want to tell you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your abilities. He doesn't need your money. He can take money out of a fish's mouth. He really doesn't need you too much. But the King of kings and Lord of lords, because of his great love for you, even though you have nothing to offer, he invites you in and says, hey, come and do the work with me. 
with me. Come and be a part. It is a privilege to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, if you come grumbling, say, oh, why does God want my money? God doesn't want your money. God doesn't need your money. It's that God loves you so much that he allows you to be a part of his kingdom purposes in this world. And that is a privilege. It's, you should never grumble or you should never complain. It should be an everyday, like the little boy walking up, God, can I be a part of what you're doing? But too many times we're like teenagers. We just want to sit in our room. When we're young in the faith, man, we want to do something for God. When we get older in the faith, we tend to be grumbly. Can somebody say amen? And I pray that we would be the kind of people who realize that we must do the work. We, along with Christ, must do the work of him who sent Christ. Verses like Romans chapter 8, 28 can be a little confusing. 8, 28, Romans says, All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. A scripture like that could lead you to inaction. I mean, I don't have to do anything. God's going to work it out. We don't have to worry about Ukraine. God's in control. We don't have to worry about what's happening in our country. God's in control. God's going to take care of it. But this verse is not calling us to stoicism. This verse is actually calling us to action. The Greek word that is used for work together, the Greek word is synergio, which, from which we get the word synergy. So the actual purpose and flow and meaning of the verse is this, is that God works in and through us to bring about his good in this world. And I want to tell you, God doesn't work around us. God doesn't work in spite of us. God works through us. There is no backup plan. There's no backup plan for Pakistan today. There's no backup plan for India today. There's no backup plan that if the people of God don't do it, God doesn't have plan B of let's turn to Gabriel and say, hey, Gabriel, they're not doing it, so why don't you go down and blow your trumpet over Pakistan and declare Jesus is Lord. God doesn't have a backup plan. God doesn't work around us. He doesn't work in spite of us. God works through us. He is looking for willing vessels through whom he can bring about his good of redeeming people of every tongue, of every tribe, of every people, of every nation. God desires to do his good, but he does his good through us, not in spite of us. And that is a great responsibility and a great honor, but it is also a great challenge. That if we're not doing it, He's not going to do it without us. 2,000 years after the death of Christ, Jesus said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to all people. One-third of the recognized people groups on this planet today have yet to be adequately engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God works through us, not around us. And if we're not going to do it, he's not going to do it without us. It's the love of God. In the same way you wouldn't abandon your children, God doesn't abandon us. He binds himself to us in covenant with us that we are the covenant people of God called to declare the kingdom rule of God in all the earth. We have that responsibility. God desires to do it through us. But there is a great challenge. He says to us, 
Continuing in verse 4, night is coming when no one can work. You see, we have this commission to hard work, to work with Christ, but we do it with a sense of urgency. Night is coming. There was a time just a few months ago that we could train workers in Ukraine. There was a time just a few months ago that you could freely proclaim the gospel in Ukraine, but now it's a war zone. Night has come. And if we haven't done the work up until now, the work's not going to be done now because night has come. In India, the government of India right now has a campaign to have all missionaries thrown out of India. They want all churches shut down. They have publicly stated, we want all Christians to leave India. They've publicly stated it. Night is coming in India. There is an urgency to our task today. Every day around the world, hundreds of thousands of people die without ever having heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an urgency to our task today. We must work urgently. As the farmer who sees the harvest, the farmer never takes a vacation when the harvest is ready. Can somebody say amen? When harvest is ready, you got to work when the harvest is there. Because if you wait, the harvest will be gone. And I want to tell you to lift up your eyes today and look out on the fields. There is a harvest today. God is doing his work. Night is coming, but you don't have to fear the night. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Night's coming, but I want to tell you, the light of Jesus shines brightest in the darkest places. Right now in Ukraine, I was on a phone call on Friday with workers in Ukraine. There is a harvest in Ukraine right now. There are almost 2 million Ukrainians who have gone out as refugees in just the last week. They've gone to Poland. They've gone into Moldova. They've gone into Romania. Some of them, they've been shipped all the way up to Germany. And I know of pastors right now who are on the borders. And I want to tell you, the church of Jesus Christ is serving. We help to buy 200 Kevlar suits and helmets for pastors who said, we don't want to leave. We want to serve. We want to serve. And there are pastors right now on the front lines of this war where they don't have guns in their hand. They just have Kevlar on their body and they're serving the Lord right now. And they are sending back reports of a harvest right now that in the midst of darkness, there is a harvest. There is a harvest. The Assemblies of God in Iran was started back in the 1920s. 1960, when the Ayatollah Khomeini came to power, all the missionaries were thrown out. The churches that were there were torn down. It was great persecution in that time. From that moment that he came to power, the next three general superintendents of the Assemblies of God were all martyred. They gave their lives for the gospel. It looked like a dark time. Night had come. But I want to tell you, light always shines in the darkness. And today, the fastest growing church in all the world today is in Iran. Over five million Iranians have come to faith in the last few years. 
We have friends who live on the border of Iran. They say every day, literally, Iranians come to the border, walk across the border, and they go looking and finding foreigners. Said, hey, hey, can you help me? I had a dream. I, I want a Bible. I want to find a Bible. Can you help me find a church? I want to know about Jesus, that, that God is moving in Iran because the light of Jesus always shines in the midst of the darkness. It always shines. We do not fear the darkness because he is the light. And the one who said that he is the light now says you are a city set on a hill. You are now the light of the world because the spirit of Christ lives in you. We don't have to fear the darkness around us. We have to work while it is day and shine the light when the night comes. We continue in the work of the Lord. Verse 6, verse 5, verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. The man went, he washed, and he came home seeing. See, this is why often we don't get involved in God's work because God's work is messy. God's work is messy. God's work is getting down where people are. Jesus wasn't the kind to speak healing over lepers. He was the kind of man that touched lepers. He literally made himself unclean so that lepers could be made clean. Jesus was the kind that he didn't just sit with sinners, he ate with them. He went to the place they were. Jesus was willing to get messy. And I love this idea of that there's something fascinating about the idea that God likes to get his hands dirty. Do you realize that when God made us, he didn't make us out of a tree trunk? <laughs> Seems like that'd be something better to make us out of. He didn't even make us out of a rock. The Bible says that, that God reached out into the dust and formed us. And how many of you know dust doesn't hold together without a little bit of spit? <laughs> and it says that literally God formed us and breathed into us. He, he got messy in order to make us. And here is Christ that, that why, why get your hands messy? He could have just spoke many times. He just spoke words and people. So, so why get messy? Because I believe there's something in the process that Jesus wants us to see that many times in this world, if the world is going to be healed, if the world is going to see deliverance, it's only going to be to the extent that you're willing to get a little messy. That you're willing to get down in the dirt with them. That you're, it's, it's one thing to just look and just say, oh, I, I hope everything is better. But, but God calls us to messiness. He calls us to get down in the dirt with those who are hurting. He calls us to, to get down. And let me tell you, hurting people will always hurt you. <laughs> Broken people will always try to break you. <laughs> Which is why we, we tend to like to associate more with people who are whole already. Because, because you know better than to call me at 3 in the morning. <laughs> but my drug addict friend, he, he has no, no sense of time. <laughs> so he's knocking on the door at 3 in the morning. And so, so, so it's better maybe not to have those kind of relationships. 
Because those kind of people get into your life. I want to tell you, God has called us to messiness. God's called us to messiness. If you look at Romans chapter 8, when it's talking about good, the, the verses leading up to that of, of how does God work with and through us for his good, how does God do that? It's groaning. Everybody say groaning. The Bible says that at this time, if you look back in Romans 8, it said all creation at this moment is groaning. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, the world's literally groaning today, longing to be restored. The decay and death that was released, not only into us, that, that decay literally went through us down into the dirt. The trees now die. Animals, I mean, like literally, the sin of humanity corrupted the entirety of creation. And the world is groaning for the restoration, groaning for the return, groaning for the time that there will be new heavens and new earth in the image of God again, without any decay, without any death. The world is groaning. And it says then that we, the people of God, with the Spirit of God, enter into that groaning with all creation. That we are called to groaning. We are called to lament. We are called to brokenness. We are called to be a people who groan and mourn with those who are mourning. But too many times it's just easy to turn the channel. Oh, Ukraine, oh, that's so bad to turn the channel. I want something a little bit happier than that. Oh, or in Ethiopia, oh, that's horrible. Let me turn the channel. Oh, there's injustice. Oh, that hurts. Let me turn the channel. We're not called to be people who turn the channel. We're called to be people who enter in, who get messy. You know, I've got three grown sons, and, and my sons are, sometimes they're just idiots. How many of your kids sometimes are just idiots? I mean, sometimes they just do dumb stuff. And there's been times my, my sons just, you know, they start down a path, and it's like, son, what are you doing? And when my sons are struggling, it, it affects me. I mean, I can't go to sleep at night. I'm laying in my bed, and I'm tossing. I just find myself literally praying and weeping myself to sleep because I love my son so much. In the middle of the night, sometimes I just wake up startled, and I start to pray again for my son. It's the first thing on my mind when I wake up in the morning. It sits with me throughout the day. There's just, just mourning, groaning. That's all I can do sometimes is just to groan, to lament, to, to enter into brokenness, believing that God is able to do it. And I can tell you, when my son is struggling, nobody has ever had to send me a reminder to pray for my son. Because my heart is bound to him. And that's the challenge. Our heart is not bound to the other. Our hearts are bound to family, but our hearts are not bound to the other. The other ethnicity, the other language, the other nation, the other race. Our, our hearts aren't bound to the other the way our hearts are bound to family. And when you and I became children of God, our family got bigger. And in the New Testament, they called themselves brothers and sisters, but they didn't do it the way we did it. We, we use the term brother and sister as a, as, a, as a term of endearment towards one another. In the early church, when they said brother and sister, they meant it. 
You're now my brother. You're now my sister. You're now family to me. We have one Father who is the creator of all people. All people were created in the image of God. And you are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have other brothers and sisters who have been orphaned and they don't know that they're part of the family yet. And it's my responsibility to let them know that you are my brother and sister, that God has redeemed you to himself, that we are all part of this family. That we are connected. We are responsible. And can you imagine what would change in this world if we were a people of groaning and compassion? Because compassion always compels us to action. It always compels you to act. You do not have compassion if it is not moving you to do something. Compassion will always move you. And what we need today is a messy people who will start getting tearful and mess up some makeup and mess up your hair so that in the middle of the night we're groaning for a world. And as we begin to groan, as we begin to intercede, God's going to move on our hearts what we can do to be a part of changing things. We need to be messy people. We need to be people that get involved in this hard work. There was a time we were getting ready to move up to a, to a new hill area. I, I lived up in the hills of India, and we were getting ready to move up into a far interior area up into the hills. We were home on a furlough, and my, my third son was born at that time, and he was born with only one kidney. The doctors did ultrasounds, and they, they showed us. They said, he's only got one kidney. We don't know why the kidney didn't form. It was like the size of a tiny little peanut and shriveled up. He said, we don't know why it formed, but, uh, and, and he can be okay. You can live with one kidney, but we don't know why he lost that kidney. And so he needs to be under observation for the first few years because if he loses the other kidney at this young age, he's probably not going to make it. And so we told the doctor, we said, uh, I, I got a plane ticket. I bought the ticket before my son was born, two months, because they let you on the plane two months after your son was born. I bought a ticket for two months after he was born. I said, I already got a ticket. We're heading back to India. God's called us. We got to go back to India. And the doctor said, no, you can't do it. Don't take your son. And we prayed. And we felt like the Lord called us. The Lord's in control. We're going to trust the Lord with our son. I told a story in an earlier service about one of my other sons who had struggles. What's interesting about struggles is yesterday's victories will never prepare you for the struggles of today. That's why the children of Israel could see water come out of a rock and complain the next day, why'd you bring us here to die? Because <laughs> yesterday's victories <laughs> become very vague and elusive by tomorrow. And so we struggled with it. And we groaned, and we prayed, we lamented over our son, but we felt at the end of the day, we got to trust God. So we went, and we went up into this isolated area of India. It was a two-day drive, all-day driving from where we lived before. Two days of driving up in the mountains. And we went up, and we started serving in this area. About two years after we started the work there, we had to go to Thailand for some medical exams, and while we were there, we got our son checked out. I showed the doctor all the old reports, and I said, he hadn't been checked up in two years, and uh, this is what the doctor said. Would you check him out and see what's going on? And so the doctor ran x-rays, and he ran ultrasound. He did all of these things, and the doctor looked very nervous, and at the end of it all, he came up and said, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, your son has two kidneys now. 
And my son is 18 years old. He is a world-class rock climber today. He climbs in actually rock climbing competitions. He is as strong as an ox today because, uh, because God loves my family more than I can love my family. But not only that, not only has my son got two kidneys and he's strong today, but in that area where there had not been a known believer in over 150 years, back in the 1800s, it was known three people in that area came to the Lord. There had not been a known believer in over 150 years. We have churches in that area today. Our ministry is led by a first generation, Guljar Hussein, who is from the Balti tribe, who uh, the Jenkins worked among the Balti some. He is a, from that tribe. He leads the ministry there today. And we have dozens of, of Muslim families who are this morning, as we meet together, they are meeting in house churches today across that region, and lives are being changed. Because here's the principle, when you die to yourself, people live. When you live for yourself, people die. When you do what's in your best interest, people die. When you die to your interest, people live. It's a principle. And that principle will only be followed by a people of lament. Because you don't lay down your life for an enemy. You lay down your life for a friend. You don't give your all for an outsider. You give your all for those dearest to your heart. Those dear to our heart. We get messy for people we care about. We get dirty for people we're concerned about. And where we need to start today is brokenness. That you, for Lakeland, Florida, are broken for your city. You are broken over your neighbors. You are weeping over your nation. You are weeping over what's happening in Ukraine. And it is in that mourning, in that lament, in that groaning, that God begins to speak into your heart about how you can get involved to make a difference. We can make a difference in Ukraine. We can. We can make a difference in the Middle East. We can make a difference in Africa. We can make a difference in our city if we just care. And if we care, God will work with and through us to bring about his good, his kingdom being established. Are we willing to join with God? That is the only question. Are we willing to join with him in this messy work? And I want to tell you, it's not easy. The Jenkins could tell you stories. It's not easy. I've been in prison in Laos. Was arrested and spent time in a little metal box. It's not easy. Friends that I baptized are in prison today in Laos. It's not easy. Men that I baptize who have given their lives for the name of Christ. It's not easy. It's hard work. It's messy. But I want to tell you, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And I want to tell you, I, I, I just truly believe this. 2,000 years is enough. 2,000 years is enough. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to all people. I believe 2,000 years is enough. It is time that the church gets busy about hard work
Let the light of Christ shine in you. Let it shine through you in a dark world. Be the change in the world. It is time. It is time. It is time. Open your hearts today. Would you just...